0: We've spent two days together doing this practice. Quite often the second and third day are, well, at least they have the reputation for being the most difficult. So, so far, so good, huh? It's amazing, isn't it, how just sitting still and doing nothing can be so full of everything and at times really so difficult. You come in and sit down in the pillow. Settle in for a session of being with yourself and before you know it, you're attacked by some kind of inner voice or some discomfort in your body. I think it's interesting that the Buddha's first enlightenment and his first teaching was on the truth of suffering. I think that the fact that it's the beginning of the teachings is significant because it's the part that we have to get a hold of first. It's the it's the part of the teachings that we have to really open up to and understand deeply that it's true when you come in and sit down in a meditation session very often I think you'll you've noticed in these last couple of days there's a sense of of um, it isn't it, things are not quite right there's a it's not altogether okay. Some discomfort that seems to be lurking constantly in the background for us. And then the that child inside, the, the one that carries the pains of of wounds that happened a long long time ago begins to make himself or herself known and that discomfort becomes more and more specific and their painful memories come up and there is this... Sense of a voice very often in the mind, maybe more than one, commenting on everything, talking about how maybe it could be better or what's wrong with how it is. Mostly, probably, well, what's wrong with how you are and how you could fix it if you really had it together. That voice. And then when it finishes with you, uh, then it starts on everyone else. The person next to you. The one who breathes too loud. (laughs) The one who always comes in late and walks so aggressively. How dare they walk aggressively. And then... um, the one who's talking about what maybe there will be for lunch or when 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 will the bell ring i know they're going over time <laughs> you sometimes think we're purposely not ringing that bell don't you all of it happening in this context of emptiness and quiet peacefulness mind is so busy all the time and it isn't really so often that it's happy unfortunately it seems to be mostly preoccupied with uh, what's wrong and how it it could be better and then, of course, in addition to all that, you're sitting with a, a body that is filling your awareness with pain from time to time. Your knees hurt and your back hurts. And what about that place between your shoulder blades? It's probably going to require surgery when you get out of <laughs> here. Isn't that the right? going to have to get an appointment with your doctor because that... I've heard that that kind of pain could lead to bad things. You You think all these things, don't you? It just goes on and on. You can see by the laughter that we all share this experience. And it was the Buddha's first revelation that there's suffering here just because you're here. And... uh, In a way, it isn't even personal. It has not much to do with how you do it. You could, uh, in fact, the stories I've heard about the lives of saints is that they suffer horribly from their own minds. You can be a really good person and it doesn't mean that you're going to be spared from those voices, those self-critical voices. In fact, Those of us who are always working to be good are probably the ones who are hounded the most about how we could improve. It's the way it is. It's the way it is here. that there is hardship and, and this mind-body process is really difficult there's just no question about it. I've spent years and years wondering about all this and kind of, you know, my, my particular obsession is trying to figure out why it is the way it is. I could probably give you about 500 different reasons about why it is the way it is, and none of them are satisfactory. Of course, it just is this way. And that's what the Buddha taught. That's the way it is. And it's hard, it's difficult for us to get it. We take it personally. We think it's our fault. Or we really ought to get our act together and clean it up so that it won't be this way. But the fact is... we. What's required is for us to open and surrender to the truth of it, as uh, difficult as that may be. And about the second day into a retreat like this, do you have an idea of how difficult that is? We share this experience of, of dukkha it's difficult to speak about all this these days without having in mind current events and the the horror that came upon us on September 11th mind wants to consider all of that and make connections look for meaning in the whole thing. And I think that um, it's worthwhile for us to search for meaning in this. I think that um, something happened to our collective psyche on that day and that we have all been in some way altered indelibly and the statement that you hear on the radio or on the television or in the news that things will never be the same again. I think that's true. Something has happened and it, and it bears us looking closely at it. And because I, I come from several traditions I tend to look at it through those lenses. One of my traditions is that um, my teacher was a student of Freud, so I have a direct lineage to Freud in Western psychology. And then also, um, the other tradition is, is the more spiritual tradition. Tradition. My introduction to spiritual life really happened many, many years ago, uh, and I spent some time with a spiritual master in India before uh, I ran across Jack and Joseph and Sharon and became interested in vipassana. So. My own experience of what's befallen us is pretty much colored by those traditions. For some time now, I've been... um, interested in the fact that the, the prevailing myth of our culture, of our time, is the, the myth of uh, the fall from the Garden of Eden, the Adam and Eve story. It's really, when you look into our, our, our culture deeply, uh, that myth is very central to us and how we are as people. What happened there in that story? In that fall, it came about as a result of our discovery of the knowledge of good and evil. It's interesting. The Knowledge of good and evil. Good and evil being the primary polarities in our consciousness, in this dual consciousness, the primary opposites, good and evil. And when Adam and Eve ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that was the precipitation for the fall and the banishment from the garden, from paradise. And we have been struggling and suffering laboring and in pain ever since according to this myth you find the same story something very similar in in our uh, continuing investigation of Western psychology of of how uh, the uh, psyche develops, how the individual psychology develops. There is in that story also a fall from paradise. And it seems that the fall from paradise in both of these myths results in our being somehow immersed in uh, a land a realm of contrasts, opposites. In other words, uh, in this fall we emerge into a consciousness that is split upon itself with the two sides being forever in opposition to each other and that that really is very central to our nature as human beings. In psychology, the story is that uh, around six months or so the the newborn baby begins to show signs of self-consciousness. There seems to be some kind of separation uh, that happens in in awareness so that there is this developing sense of uh, identification with self being in here and other being out there, the separation from the breast, the the good mother, the source of nourishment. And that separation is the beginning of what we call ego development. Psychology, really Western psychology, is the study of how that separating ego, that separating sense of individual self then learns how to deal with everything outside of itself. Everything inside the skin being me and the developing child and everything outside being other. The fall from, uh, the fall from uh, grace, the fall from the garden, the fall from paradise comes about as a result of the fact that as soon as that other is out there and the self is in here and then there's that separation, fear arises. Fear and struggle. We're from then on never really totally contented, never really whole, not having a sense of completeness unto ourselves, but always destined to be searching and struggling to become more than what we are looking for that completion outside of ourselves and the, and the Buddha spoke of it often in his teaching of, of how we're always looking outside of ourselves for that which we're seeking and that which we're seeking can only be found within In Western psychology, that, that developing self, that developing sense of individual self is the story of, of uh, normal life. It's the story of the development of normality and, and how successful that, that budding self is in maintaining uh, some semblance of well-being being in its relationships to other to is, is the measure of health, emotional health. I'm, I'm being very uh, doing, I'm talking about this in sort of an oversimplified way, but essentially that's the story. And you find the story also in our myths of how so often in the myth the hero or the heroine leaves the home, the safe place, and has to go out into the darkness, into the outer world, and undergo ordeals and have adventures, very often involving combat and struggle to attain some kind of prize, which then that hero or heroine can bring home and be then happy Ever after, live happily ever after. Our psychology is the same kind of story. You know, if you're lucky enough to grow up in a nourishing environment where you get touched and where people regard you with with good goodwill and affection, you're much more likely to be able to leave home and and uh, make your way in this confusing world and uh, go through your struggles and come through them successfully with a sense of, of, of uh, self-caring and self-love and then be able to bring that prize home and make your own family, create your, your own nest, so to speak. So that story of the fall is everywhere, and uh, it's in the teachings of the Buddha too, only instead of the the um, story of normal development that we get in, in Western psychology, the Buddha calls it uh, ignorance, quite a different perspective. He calls the ordinary person untrained and ignorant. That includes all of us, of course, because we are immersed in this realm of duality and we all are identified as egos and we all do at some level think that these things, these structures are who we are, you see. And, and out of that very strong cellular belief comes all of our attempts to um, uh, make ourselves somehow safe and comfortable. Out of that belief comes, is the source of all of our, our longing, painful longing for completion, and connection that you feel in a retreat like this as you're sitting and doing your practice you know that sense of 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 needing to find a way to be whole and united with everyone else and everything that is finding a way back to paradise this is a poem from adrian rich One of my favorite poets. And uh, it's uh, especially applicable to these times. But there come times, perhaps this is one of them, when we have to take ourselves more seriously or die. When we have to pull back from the incantations rhythms we've moved to thoughtlessly and disenthrall ourselves, bestow ourselves to a silence or a severe listening, cleansed of oratory, formulas, choruses, laments, static, crowding the wires. We cut the wires, find ourselves in free fall as if Our true home were the undimensional solitudes, the rift in the great nebula. No one who survives to speak new language has avoided this. No one who survives to speak new language has avoided this, this cutting of the wires. The cutting away of an old force that held her rooted. To an old ground, the pitch of utter loneliness, where she herself and all creation seem equally dispersed, weightless, her being a cry to which no echo comes or can ever come. Now, the Buddha spoke of this disconnection, the sense of separation that's the source of all of our suffering because it results in our reaching out all the time and clinging to what's outside of ourselves, trying to make it supportive, trying to find meaning in it, trying to, Uh, fill ourselves with it. He spoke of it uh, as uh, a mental factor, something that comes naturally in the mind, and he called it wrong view. So the ignorance that he speaks of and that we're dealing with in practice here is not anything that we have created, and it's not anything that is our fault. Wrong view is how we're born and how we develop. Western psychology is the story of what happens when wrong view starts to become active. Wrong view is this seeing ourselves as something distinct and separate, having intrinsic separate existence compared to the rest of the world. Wrong view is separateness. Wrong view is what the Buddha taught as a mistaken point of view, uh, a misunderstanding about how the world is. And when he talked about the Four Noble Truths as being suffering and then the cause of suffering and the release from suffering, the possibility of freedom from suffering, he was talking about our working with this quality of mind that we inherit called wrong view we are all sitting here dealing with wrong view you see but we're so we're so caught up in the pain of it that we get preoccupied with the the way the knees hurt and we get preoccupied with the voices that come in and tell us we're not okay and we get preoccupied with the memories of past wounds that we, uh, that come into the present time and we obsess about. We get preoccupied with our, our, our suffering. And that's necessary. It's necessary because that's how we get it. That's how we start to understand what he's talking about when he says that there is inherent in this life suffering. Now, one of the results of this fall from the garden and one of the results of, of wrong view is that we tend to identify very strongly in our development with one part of the equation, self and other. We identify very strongly with being a self. And then in inside that self, there's also a split. The split goes on and on and on and on way back, to the beginning. And that that split inside is uh, a split between uh, good and bad. What's desirable and what's not desirable. And we try to, to associate ourselves very strongly in our thinking with being the good, most of us. And what happens from that process is that we tend to deny the other part of that duality and it becomes what John was talking about last night beautifully it becomes our shadow that which we are not aware of that which we don't know about that which we deny the dark side of our minds you begin to get hints of it when you're sitting here in, in practice because you're sitting and innocently paying attention to your your breath and Feeling the body and kind of uh, beginning to relax a little and all of a sudden something rears up back there and said, yeah, but you could have cancer now. (laughs) Or it rears up and said, you're going to be in a plane crash when you leave here. Some horror comes arising up out of the darkness. Mm. That's the shadow speaking to us. So in this practice, we in, in the western psychology the work is to make the unconscious more and more conscious and in this work it's also the same only we we settle into this process of opening and relaxing and allowing that shadow to make itself known equally as well as the other side the the side that's striving to do right and to be good our culture has been out of balance for a long time because of the denial of the shadow in our psychology and in our spiritual life been out of balance a long time we're a culture of uh, particularly in our country of pleasure seekers and materialists and we 're very much in denial of anything that's dark, and particularly we're in denial of the fact of death, not just only not only suffering, the denial of the truth of suffering, but very much in denial of the fact of death. It's really amazing how none of us really really believe we're going to die know when you When you look at it, honestly, it happens to other people. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it isn't going to happen to me. As a result of this balance, it's like having fallen from the garden. We've chosen this one side in denial of the the, the darker side, and the, which becomes the shadow. In that process, we have fallen into a really dangerous way of being. Because what happens? When um, there is this imbalance in energies and with an emphasis on striving for success, accumulating, becoming powerful, having good relationships, becoming intelligent, becoming uh, educated, accumulating, taking in, taking in, taking in. When there's an emphasis on that And we get so out of touch with the poverty in the world and the poverty in our own spirits. And uh, we get out of touch with our own cruelty because we're uh, not noticing it. The universe, the great life force conspires to awaken us. And I think that has happened. In Taoism... The teaching is that when there is great imbalance, the only thing that will be effective in awaking us and returning us to balance is shock. A tremendous shock. Makes sense, doesn't it? Wake up. Wake up. I really believe that on September 11th we suffered an incredible shock our psyches individually and collectively as a result of the the individual and collective shadow rising up and biting us. Now the result of that has been of course uh, there's a whole part of the population that's ready to go to war with the shadow and get back at it you know, get out there and bomb it. But the fact is that it's within us. And you know that from sitting in practice because you can find in your own mind cruelty and hatred and lack of compassion. So if it's in our own minds and there isn't anyone here who doesn't have some negative darkness in the mind if that's true then it's got to be in the collective also one of my very favorite poets is T.S. Eliot as you can tell I love poetry very much and And the reason I do is because poetry, uh, the use of language in poetry, more than prose mostly, comes so close to conveying the actual experience of life, the real juice of it. This is a poem from Eliot's Four Quartets. I said to my soul, be still and let the dark come upon you which shall be the darkness of God. I said to my soul, be still and wait without hope for hope would be hope for the wrong thing. Wait without love for love would be love of the wrong thing. There is yet faith, but the faith and the love and the hope are all in the waiting. Wait without thought, for you are not ready for thought. Thought is the primary tool of the ego itself. trunk book called it thought the, the ego's foot soldiers and the ego being the sense of separateness. Wait without thought for you are not ready for thought. So the darkness shall be the light and the stillness the dancing. You say I am repeating something I've said before. I shall say it again. Shall I say it again? In order to arrive there, to arrive where you are, To get from where you are not, you must go by a way wherein there is no ecstasy. He's talking about this process of awakening and it isn't fun often. It's sometimes a bold confrontation with suffering. You must go by a way wherein there is no ecstasy. In order to arrive at what you do not know, you must go by a way which is the way of ignorance. In order to arrive at what you do not know, you must go by a way which is the way of ignorance. In order to awaken from the imbalance, in order to suffer the shock of awakening, you have to be rendered unable to know anything for sure because everything that you're committed to knowing is uh, in denial of that which you don't know. So the whole idea is to awaken to not knowing anything and, and it's called divine ignorance. In order to arrive at what you do not know, you must go by a way which is the way of ignorance. In order to possess what you do not possess... You must go by the way of dispossession. You have to let go of everything in order to possess what you haven't got, which is everything. You have to let go of everything you think you have. It's so radical, this practice. We're sitting here learning how to let go of everything. Nothing can go with you on this journey. Nothing nothing, nothing. Not anything you think, not anything that you remember, not anything that you think that you are, not anything that you hope. This radical practice has to do with the absolute surrender into nothing and to not knowing before there can be any kind of awakening. And that's why coming into contact and knowing deeply your suffering is so important and so much a part of the practice. In order to possess what you do not possess, you must go by the way of dispossession. In order to arrive at what you are not, you must go through the way in which you are not. And what you do not know is the only thing you know. Hmm. <laughs> What you do not know is the only thing you know. The only thing you know is that you don't know. And what you own is what you do not own. And where you are is where you are not. Sounds like double talk, but really, 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 it's a description of this radical process of meditation. What happens in the the meditation and the good news about all of this is that once the shock has been administered and it happened collectively to our, our people recently in a big way, then there is this time of grace where what you know and what you believe in and what you're certain about has been wiped out the structures inside crumble. A time of grace comes in which there is not knowing anything, not having anything. There is only this presence in the moment. When you sit in the meditation in a retreat like this, you're learning about presence. Back of all of the stuff in the mind, back of all of the pain in the body, Back of all of the uh, static, all the chicharero, all the longing and the wishing and the sense of helplessness, back of all of it, there is some kind of healing. There is some kind of healing that's possible. But not without opening to the darkness. Not without opening to the suffering. Not without opening to the loss of everything. Not without opening to the grief. Not without opening to the rage. Not without opening to all of it. All of it. So that's why we say so much in the practice when we're giving instructions. Allow it. Allow it. Allow it. Whatever it is that comes, it's okay. Whatever it is that you experience it's okay don't push anything away because pushing away is clinging too this is a a, a healing process we're involved in and it's and it's a, it's a miracle it's a great incredible grace that we have the opportunity to do it especially now in these times we have this opportunity to sit still To confess not knowing how it should be, or who we are, or what we're here for, to confess total ignorance, to realize that there isn't anything we can do to assuage our pains, there isn't anything we can do to make it go away. We have this opportunity to open our hearts, to open, to open, to open, to surrender to allow what is holy and what is divine to speak through each of us. Pablo Neruda, also one of my favorites. And now we will count to 12 and we will all keep still. For once, on the face of the earth, let's not speak in any language Let's stop for one second and not move our arms so much. Isn't that beautiful? So simple. After those towers fell, since that time, it's been an opportunity to stop and not move our arms so much. It would be an exotic moment without rush, without engines. We would all be together in a sudden strangeness. There has been a strangeness, hasn't there? There has been some kind of strangeness. Fishermen in the cold sea would not harm whales. And the man gathering salt would look at his hurt hands. Those who prepare green wars, wars with gas, wars with fire, Victory with no survivors would put on clean clothes and walk about with their brothers in the shade doing nothing. It's what you're doing. What I want should not be confused with total inactivity. Life is what it's about. I want no truck with death. If we were not so single-minded about keeping our lives moving and for once could do nothing, perhaps a huge silence might interrupt this sadness of never understanding ourselves and of threatening ourselves with death. Perhaps the earth can teach us as when everything seems dead and later proves to be alive. Now I'll count out to 12 and you keep quiet and I will go. So I guess what I'm really saying here in all this this rambling is that um, we're really incredibly graced in being here This is an opportunity to realize not only the truth of suffering but the possibility of becoming free of it. It's an opportunity to realize our helplessness. You see, you can't make your mind stop doing what it's doing. And you can't make your knees stop hurting any more than you can sit here and make your heart stop. We're helpless. We are not in control of any of this. Do you know what makes the heart beat? There's a little collection of cells on the right side of the heart. Now, this is true. I learned this in medical school. It's the most, maybe the only valuable thing I learned in medical school. (laughs) Could be. There's a little collection of cells on the right side of the heart called the sinus node. Now, they're quite different from all the other cells around the heart. They're shaped differently. And the thing is that they have no connection to anything else in the body. There, there is no connection to the nervous system. There is no connection to the heart itself. The impulse that beats each contraction of the heart leaps mysteriously out of that little ball of cells. And therefore, every time that impulse comes, you get another second of life in this body. Now, no one knows how that works. <laughs> it just does. It's such a lesson to, to me to remember that sinus node. You know, I kind of like make friends with it. Hey there. Uh, <laughs> I'm glad you're here. I don't know where you come from (laughs) and I don't know how you got here but whatever it is you're doing just keep up the good work (laughs) because I've got stuff to do here and most of it has to do with appreciating the fact that you're doing it all and I don't have to. Yeah. Gratitude. Grace. Gratitude. This time when this horror has come upon us and we're we're still we're still in the grief of it and we're still in the shock of it it's so vital that we use it wisely that we use it to awaken to truth the truth of the fact that we don't know but that what it is that occurs here we can be grateful for and i'd like to close with this this one from W.S. Merwin. Listen to this. It begins, listen. With the night falling, we are saying thank you. We are stopping on the bridge. To bow from the railings, we are running out of the glass rooms with our mouths full of food to look at the sky and say thank you. We are standing by the water looking out in different directions. Back from a series of hospitals, back from a mugging. After funerals, we are saying thank you. After the news of the dead, whether or not we knew them, we are saying thank you. In a culture up to its chin, in shame, living in the stench it has chosen, we are saying thank you. Over telephones we are saying thank you. In doorways and in the backs of cars and in elevators. Remembering wars and the police at the back door and the beatings on stairs we are saying thank you. In the banks that use us we are saying thank you. With the crooks in office, with the rich and fashionable, unchanged we go on saying thank you, thank you. With the animals dying around us, our lost feelings, we are saying thank you. With the forests falling faster than the minutes of our lives, we are saying thank you. With the words going out like cells of a brain, with the cities Growing over us like the earth, we are saying thank you faster and faster. With nobody listening, we are saying thank you. We are saying thank you and waving, dark though it is. So, I'm so happy you're here. That We're all here. I'm as happy that you're here as I am that the sinus node is here. And it's about the same thing, really, isn't it? We're all out of that same mystery. And the more we stay in touch with that mystery, the better for us. Because we won't build bombs if we're in touch with it. And we'll be kind to each other when we're in touch with it. And our hearts will fill with real compassion when we're in touch with it. Thank you for your attention. Walk in period now until we come back again to sit at. It